Good morning, afternoon, or evening. Welcome to the Old Dad Jazz Podcast. And this is your host, Matias. And tonight I have with me Cameron. He's going to talk about how he converted basically from being a far, far left guy, a socialist or a communist guy, to basically not a communist or socialist. And so we're going to talk about how that came about and through his reading of Thomas Sowell, Will Durant, he's going to opine on postmodernistic art, which he doesn't think too much of. And he's also going to mention how he had an experience in college where a lot of professors gave their subjective opinions on things that really are not really factual, but just their own political opinions influenced by Marxism. So this and so much more in this episode so sit back relax and enjoy so now we're on i have uh on my show all that jazz tonight uh cameron welcome cameron so uh we had met years ago in the hostel and uh i remember Yes, in Edinburgh, Scotland. Scotland. In a church. Yes. And we had some, uh, I remember we had some debates there, but uh, then years later you contact me and you said that you had, uh, you had a change of mind. So mm. uh, can you walk us through what happened? Because I'm curious. Mm. Well, when we met, I was um, pretty strongly um, left-wing left minded. I was... Um, I suppose I, I I was convinced of the idea that um, uh, there's a moral element to to to, to basically the, the left wing versus the right wing, and that to be left wing was essentially to be more moral because it implied that you cared more about other people because you wanted, which is probably not totally far off. Um, but the, I suppose what happened was that I um, well, you introduced me. To some people, you introduced me to, to what was his name again? The the dude with the awesome Boston accent. Boston, he's from New York. Uh, Thomas Sowell. Okay. Thomas, Thomas Sowell. Sowell. Yeah. Um, and so I read him. I also um, got quite far into history, and um, saw more of where the roots, of how how our society and our economic systems um, were founded, and right. And that they that they were the 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 the, the idea of competition and um, the idea of competition and individualism wasn't something that happened naturally. Uh, it took a long time. It took some force, and um, it's something to be proud of. And that it's not an issue, it's not in any sense really immoral. And that even though there's a temptation for people who are more um, empathetic to look at the way the world works and say there must be a way to make this more egalitarian to uh, to uh, more anyway suffering more fair yeah and and unfortunately I think most of the constructions that people come up with to do that end up being uh, making things worse basically and that uh, the situ- the 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 organizations and the or the systems of organization that we've come up with have taken a long time with thousands of years of tinkering and of actual general improvement mm-hmm. um, 
and have gotten to a way in which they leave everybody pretty well off. Right. Um, so, um, sorry, what was the basic assumption then that, uh, the socialist or the communist system was going to be better for everybody that uh, collectivism is mm. better and more empathetic empathetic yeah mm. because so, uh, yeah you know so it's the intention versus um so it's mm. like uh putting the intention on the pedestal saying the intention mm. is paramount the intention is yeah. because if yeah. the intention is good then the results must be good but um yeah exactly but then you yeah. found that that's not always the case right yeah exactly Exactly. And having the intention is, is perfectly admirable, but it, it takes almost a certain um, uh, amount of intellectual honesty, even coldness, um, to go and look at uh, how the institutions we have were formed and to mm -hmm. say, you know, this is an ideal in a lot of ways. It's not bad to make small tinkering adjustments to try to improve things, mm -hmm. but having some giant revolution. Uh, I mean, it's like Wilderant said, revolution, the only thing revolution egalitarian, you know, uh, equalizes is poverty, you know? Right. It's, it's the speed in which you do it as well, I think, you know? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's, and that's, I think, a, a little bit, it's a sad realization in a certain sense um, for people who want there to be want uh the sort of prosperity that most of the world enjoys to be spread more evenly right i think that so it's in not reality you can't force that so easily right you know? right it's not so easy like um people uh, people uh, a lot of time focus on why certain countries are poor but um i think there mm. should be more focus on why certain countries are doing so well right. and try yeah, to emulate yeah, that right instead yeah, of demonizing absolutely. it as as in as in that they're taking advantage of the, like, uh, as if America got where it's were, but taking advantage of others, which is a very, mm. uh, I would say, very skewed viewpoint, to say the least, you know mm. what I mean? But that's also not to say that they didn't take advantage of others and didn't do things that were a little bit, you know, uh, immoral. The same sure, thing what, with the British Empire. You what know? country didn't? There is, uh, yeah, exactly. You know. Yeah, but it's like, um, and you can focus on that and, Sure, you know, uh, it's a good thing to focus on that to a certain extent. But like you say, like, what are we doing well that's working? Yes. Uh, I think those questions, I think, come end up, end up coming with, with age more, more than anything as well. Yeah. Is it? I think it's just, like, is, don't you think? Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, it seems to be something of our generation and something that, that seemed to start, uh, especially in the 1900s, where any sense of traditionalism and any sense of respecting um, and thinking, wow, okay, we've gotten this far. Look how rich we are at this point. Yeah. Um, from slowly making improvements and tinkering uh, on what we've done before, that sort of that way of approaching things seems to just be wiped off the map. And you can see it in art around 1900, in art and in literature. There's this whole destruction of order that took place and a replacement with a pure concentration on rebellion and doing something that's new. And I, I don't know what happened there. It's, it's a funny thing. It, it came at the same time as, um, you know, as, as, as the massive advance in science and all that sort of stuff. The whole world changed very quickly. Yeah. And that's essentially what modern, modernism became and still is for people, and especially young people. Is It's not about looking back and saying, ah, well, the former generation did it like this. We can tinker and we can improve. 
suddenly the most um, valued thing in art and in uh, like political theory possibly as well was down with, with tradition. Let's destroy everything that came before and let's just like paint circles and, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, abstraction. The painting, there was a painting the other day that I saw. I don't know if this is true, but there was only two colors and it sold for 45,000 euros. Oh, really? Or even more. Yeah. It's the. Uh, I saw. That's that's especially the culture right now. That's the domination uh, as well of of an aristocracy, which is the ironic thing, is because there's essentially a a group of very, like, privileged, um, intense intellectuals who sort of work within the, the schools, the art schools, and sort of set the mode for the prices almost. They're sort of, they're the ones sort of saying, ah, this is in at the moment. This is what we like at the moment. Um, right. And they affect massively. They, there's, there's pretty much a, a small, it's not a small group of people, but it's an aristocratic group of intellectuals who decide what is and what, what, what is and what isn't valuable in the art world. Right, right, right. It, it, but but weird, don't you man. think the general the world's like- weird and ironic. But don't you think the general public is in some way influenced by, because they they're the ones also dictating um, the uh, what sells in art and also, but yeah. but I guess they are also influenced by the popular maybe postmodernistic art kind of movement, because yeah. a lot of. Um, but that's all the schools, you know. All of the art schools are postmodernist now. There's there's very few art schools that go. you can go to and learn how to do anything traditional. Do Do you know Partly why that is? I guess you could- and we started taking photographs. I mean, that's the that's the generally like if you go to a um, to an art history class, they'll right. tell you. Well, once we figured out that we can take photographs, everyone was like, "Well, there's no point in painting something that's literally there anymore." Right, right, right. Again, there's nothing wrong with. I mean, I love abstract art, um, and it's it can be really stimulating, it can be humorous, it can be excellent. But this this general total destruction of order, and it's really order, order and traditionalism. In, right. in art that's in culture it's weird man it's it's un, it's unheard of you know, you know it Nothing. seems like today to be a, a rebel is to be a traditionalist to be religious mm-hmm. to be kind of yeah. conservative to be um yeah. devote so conservative and everybody will look down upon you and say oh you're so uh you're such a degenerate you're an old generation you're mm-hmm. a dinosaur you have you have nothing but but actually, that is, you are preserving something that's good of the culture. Yeah. Don't you agree that? Because yeah. if you want to just break down everything, then it's, man, yeah. what are we doing? What are we doing? We're yeah. breaking yeah. down something that's, that's working, right? Yeah. So yeah I want to go back to something that, um, sorry, uh, do you want to say something? Well, I was going to say that's essentially what post-postmodernism is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah now we, we are right. Post-postmodernism is the flip. And the, so, okay. Now that we've destroyed any sense <laughs> of uh, uh, traditionalism and order, what, what, what do we do now? Like, maybe we should make some things that are a bit tidier and uh, follow a certain pattern again. Yeah. And it's like, well, like, you, you know, that reminds funny. me, cool. I was watching YouTube the other day and um, there was um, uh, somebody was interviewing, Australian guy was interviewing people in uh, Australia, just like early 80s. And somebody commented and said, oh, the the dressing, the, the style has returned. Like what they were wearing in the early 80s in Australia, the, the style right. in America, that's returning now. The hairstyle. Oh, and all. Right. <laughs> we're going I don't know if that's entirely true, but, but there is something yeah, to that. Yeah. There is cycles. Cyclical. 
the repeat. But uh, yeah, but this one's odd. I think. I think this whole thing. It was. I think last century is is going to be seen as something really, really strange in the future. You know, this right. sort of um, starting in the 1900s and then you know Europe being and the whole world being plunged into these enormous wars. Um, and this total destruction and change. I mean, it's like you know when you go digging. Uh, or, or you have archaeologists digging uh, around in like Crete or something like that, or right. in Greece, and they're like, "Oh, well, suddenly, uh, uh, in between 2,000 and 2,400 years ago, the pottery changed, and you start seeing these nice circles around them." If anybody ever gets their hands on what we were doing in this period of time, they're going to be like, right. "What the hell happened in 1900?" <laughs> you know, like chaos. The, you, know? you know, the technology makes everything go faster. But I want to go back yeah. to um, to um, um, the Thomas Sowell and all that because I remember uh, some of the conversation we had earlier. I, uh, I, you, 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 you seem to remember we had a conversation about religion. I don't remember the conversation about religion when we talked yesterday, but I remember, I remember that we had a conversation about something political, and uh, you were like berating some people and berating the ritual or whatever it was, and I was like, man, there's just like resentment talking. I remember something like that. That's about the only bit yeah. I do remember strongly, because it was, um, yeah, yeah. but to, to be fair, I tend to sometimes uh, argue with a very kind of emotion as well, but you were kind of, yeah. you, you were yeah, feeding yeah. back as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so do you think yeah. there is um let me see how i ask this do you, do you think people's political view is sometimes based on their emotional state in life their spiritual state almost mm. yeah totally yeah and their location and their, their community and what they're going through at the time and especially the emotional state thing and i think that's that's the that's what makes it so difficult um, to to change your mind about anything when you get attached to a set of ideas yeah. is that it, it's difficult to remove yourself and to think objectively about anything, isn't it? I mean, yes. Um, and I think that's why it's like sort of what we're talking about it is kind of what does it take to change a person's mind? Because that's, I think, what you found, why we're talking now, what you find interesting about this change that I had going essentially from being... Yes. And it's not that I don't have any sympathies left, you know, I, I still, still sometimes on the fence, you know, between, you know, this socialistic mindset of um, what we can we do um, to, to make things more uh, egalitarian, mm -hmm. to make sure that people, and I, I still see that as, I, you know, I still see the point in that. I think there's a middle line that you can follow where each issue essentially has to be taken uh on its own um right and there's a more practical position with, but I, than, but than saying radical. everybody the rich has to give their money they're all bad and all you know it kind of marks this kind of uh argument yeah. which is the yeah uh, i totally was like that i forget now <laughs> <laughs> yeah i, I just remember spit, a little bit i used to spit on fancy cars if i saw a nice car i'd spit on it really it just pissed me off that somebody would spend two hundred thousand dollars on a on a essentially like a, a a statement of their own worth, you know, like it's uh, it, it you offended know, your sensibilities. You were like, it offended my sensibilities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I was pretty radical at the time. I was like, you know, I don't know. You were sort of the same one. You were traveling around with 
not a hell of a lot of possessions. You know, no. yeah. I mean, pretty... the problem with my, uh, if I espouse any right wing stuff, which uh, sometimes do, that people accuse me that I live my life as a left wing guy, but then I have. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then, but then my argument is, well, you know, you can be, you can say, um, you can be part of the system, but still espouse something that I think would be better for the majority of people, you see. Man, yeah, there, there are people like full on on the dole for 20 years who are liberta flat libertarians who think the dole shouldn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not like that, but uh, I've yeah, they, that You case. meet people like that. It's yeah. funny, you know. Yeah, there's a certain amount, but once, once you're inside, you know, once you're inside a system, you've got to play by its rules, whether you like it or not. Um, still, I think uh, you got to watch hypocrisy like that. Yeah. but I don't think I don't think you're an example of hypocrisy. Well, um, I, I, I didn't live frugally. I I didn't have much possessions, and that doesn't mean like I wasn't uh, living off the government. I was working here and there, you know, in a hostel. Yeah, yeah. That's know. not living a living life. That's not living a like you know. That's just being non-materialist. That's a different spectrum entirely, isn't it? Materialism versus okay. non-materialism. To be fair, I last year I did go to a college that was paid for by the Scottish government, so I have to like Lucky. full disclosure. <laughs> there, is, there is like, you know, but but I'm like, uh, people argue that conservatives are selfish, and that mm. you could say that was a, I'm I'm taking advantage of the system in a way because it's there. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, but that's that's cons conservatives are um selfish thing you know it's it's the same thing it's that emotion motive argument from people who think that by being by having a set of uh by following the set of ideas which uh is in a sense usually more intellectual or mm -hmm. practical you know the the arguments for it tend to be slightly more complicated and less idealistic right you know? is that is that what it is do you think that the left i mean okay let's say the the far left the marxist let's say um then they tend to more argue with emotion with mm, idealism. Yeah. I think so. Pretty hard to see how somebody could still be a Marxist if they were, if, if they, you know, were arguing intellectually. I mean, it's, it's Marx's economic system just was just, just done work. We, we figured that out pretty fast. He was a terrible economist. And then, um, yeah, but that is not, but yeah, the, I've had professors at, at the college that I attended that are, you know, have high education. They're, I would say they're very mm -hmm. smart people. They're intellectually, they're very uh, high, high intellect, but still they're Marxists. Like they, they support Marxism. Mm -hmm. Like uh, pure old fashioned Marxism, you know? Um, it depends on, on the, on the, on the person, I guess, but uh, I'm not going to call any names out, but uh, you, no, all no, know no. Who, you all know who you are. <laughs> um, Socialism like understandable but marxism like like man i get it kind of i mean I, you can understand it in the context of the 1840s in britain where you know people are literally like living and sleeping in factories most of london is basically a ghetto i mean yeah something something radical had to be done uh, in the end what solved it wasn't a lot of radical thinking it was again incremental change right um but you, could, you can see how people would think about that during the Industrial Revolution. But it was pretty clear, I think, to a lot of people, even at the same time that Marx was around. Like, socialism, you know, 
there are we've we've sort of learned from socialism we've implied all these or we've been employed all these socialistic um elements into how we manage our society um like you know university and education being paid for the idea that if you're born into uh, a community which just sucks you know and you know your mom and dad are useless mm-hmm. and you are you know as an individual put in a position where it's not going to be easy to make your life better or nicer than it was when it started. Mm -hmm. One of the best things you can do is if you, if if there's a pathway created by the state for people in that position, I mean, it's pretty hard to argue that that's a bad thing, right? Yeah. Well, um, um, for example, access to education, right? I'm, I'm kind of utilitarian in that view. Um, I don't know. Did we talk about the, uh, for example, the, you know, uh, the U S provides a lot of, um, um, loans for for colleges and all that but but then they use that the colleges use that to inflate the price because they already have a small yeah, guarantee yeah. and then they inflate the yeah. price i don't know what yeah. the solution in that case would be i don't know because you well, can, the, this is this is the minute detail sort of like i was saying it's like it's, it's yeah it's it's hard not to want to make sweeping statements and say like yeah this is it the revolution we're going to solve it like this but in reality you know, society is extremely complicated and each individual thing needs to be dealt with slowly and one by one. Okay. And you know, in some countries it's been done really well. In some countries, I mean, obviously the U S is, is not dealing well with education. I mean, that's right. The cost right. Thousand bucks A lot of people would say that the, that is because, uh, there is no choice that, uh, I don't know if you know, in U S they sign people, if you live in a certain County that you have to go to that public school and then you can go to other schools. And, and in some places they even have lotteries for people to, to have the chance to go to a, a ch- what they call a charter school, which is basically a very kind of, um, there's a, a private school, but it's financed by public money sometimes, but they have lotteries because there's limited places because they don't want any, everybody to have those opportunities, I guess. They want, they want, uh, they want competition. They want to be a, a desired unions. location. School unions, teachers union, teachers mm-hmm. union are against it. So, um, but, mm-hmm. but again, then it, it becomes political because any, anytime you have a big, uh, I think a big, um, government agency or a big union they want to first of all protect themselves and that's the problem once something grows once you start a government program it's, yeah. it has its own incentives and it wants to yeah. it wants yeah. to grow bigger and that to me is like uh, that to me is the crust of thomas soul work because he studies that and he sees yeah. unintended consequences you have um yeah okay. US, the war of poverty and lyndon johnson starts something that everybody would say is good but then the mm-hmm. results are actually the mm-hmm. opposite you know mm-hmm. <laughs> it creates yeah. More poverty yeah like, totally because oh. it's hard to mess with a system that's that complicated yeah i'm with you there that i think is sort of the the the, the crust of, of of conservatism in a sense that's the that's the point of it it's like uh looking at what people have done before to see what's worked and then only of implementing very very careful very very slow changes to the system just because right. you just cannot know with something as complicated as a society of you know like america with what 350 million people yes uh, all all autonomous people trying to get the most out of their own individual world you can't just throw something in there and be like yep rehaul let's see what happens you have no idea what's going to happen you know 
yeah, yeah it's a, a it's a big problem it's a big problem mm. um um okay so you mentioned also bill durant and that's uh one of your influences as well can mm. you talk a bit um, about bill durant uh, i don't know anything about bill so um, um cool. okay i'm obsessed with bill durant bill okay. durant is a um, he's um he's a historian he was uh born i think in the 1890s like late you know late 1800s mm -hmm. he um he was initially a socialist i think as a young man um and he became he went and studied history he was a teacher uh and eventually got his doctorate and blah 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 and started his first book was a history of philosophy um but it wasn't told it wasn't a rigorous um explanation of um i mean it could be fairly regular rigorous but it was wasn't a rigorous explanation of each historian's set of ideas you know you can't you can't do a whole history of the world you know of western philosophy in one book right. and go to it right it was more focusing on um the the situation that the person was in the the history the uh you know the 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 soil that grew the person, you know, and then going somewhat into what they, what the ideas were and how that mm -hmm. influenced people at the time. It's a really holistic view of um, philosophy. Bertrand Russell, the English historian, read his book and then wrote his book, The History of Western Philosophy, which is like the, the staple now for, for um, from my understanding, for most philosophy degrees. Um, so he then, he did that and then he started, the money he got from that He started using, well, first he uh, fell in love with a pupil of his at one of his like schools, which is like, <laughs> you know, kind of like, kind of like the inverse, he pulled an inverse Macron, you know? Um, an inverse and, Macron. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The, I think the Prime Minister of uh, France, Macron, yeah. Yeah, yeah who's, he's with, he, he was like the older lady, click with her, good old Bridget. This, right. this is the inverse. Right, right, right. So Durant was uh, where was he the uh, professor? Um, I can't, I can't remember. Okay. He moved around, a, but it, he he was um, that wasn't even a professor. That was teaching in like a um, in a high school before he oh, finished okay, doctorate. Okay, doctorate. Okay. And then he started. I I don't think he yeah he did take some professorships, but he more did um by the time that that stuff was happening, he'd already had the success. Wait, the wait. Facebook. He 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 got with somebody in the high school. So she was really oh, yeah. young. Yeah, uh, man, I told you it's a reverse Macron. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> she was uh, she was young. So you'd think that's crazy. Wait, but then, younger than 18? Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah, yeah I think oh, so. I, I assume they were careful and uh, organized things properly. That's Ariel Durant. But I mean, that's the, Ariel Durant ended up, I mean, they stayed together until they died. You know, like, uh, in fact, she, she wound up contributing enormously to to the work it's the books are by will and ariel durant it's not right it's not just you know um she wrote a lot of it she's she was ended up doing it brilliant you know and by the time he passed away uh it was like i think he got sick i think they, they both got sick at a similar time and he she died first and then upon hearing the news he just went zip he just died as well he kind of really you know no will just Yeah, he just wasn't. Just well, they were well to live. Yeah, totally adjusted to living together. They just became like a, you know, a, a, a what do you call it? Like a society of two or something like that. It's pretty cute. Right. So um, anyway, he um, he after he wrote the history of Western philosophy, I actually called the story of philosophy. 
because it's told in, it's written in prose, you know, beautiful prose. I mean, I think some of the best prose written in English. Mm -hmm. um, and there's personality in these books and stuff like that. It's excellent. It's, it's, it's the same thing with Bertrand Russell's history of Western philosophy. These aren't, it's, it is aiming at um, giving you a independent, a objective viewpoint, but there's personality in there as well. Right, right. of but course. Bertrand Mark. Bertrand Russell pretty much writes a whole screw Nietzsche section. Like, <laughs> you know, like he's not, he's not being that uh, objective at all, but. Um, right, right, right. So you would say oh, oh. Durant was your influence, uh, Thomas Sowell and uh, Bernard Russell? Bertrand Russell. Yeah. Um, Will Durant ended up writing the history of the history of civilization, the story of civilization in these okay. this giant pile of books up to your hip told in beautiful prose that was a standard for American school books. It was a textbook, essentially, used as a textbook uh, for like 50 years. It was one of the most popular history books, uh, history. Right. Uh, he was one of the most widely known popular history writers right up until like the 80s, I think, 80s, 90s. Mm -hmm. And now we don't know about him, you know? Yeah. Uh, and it's terrible. It's a terrible loss. Like, you know, I try to turn everybody onto him, but I never quite get, everything's on YouTube. All of his stuff's up. Uh, recorded um, by uh, one of the really great um, uh, voice uh, voice recording artists, um, audio book recording artists in the world. I mean, it, it's all there. I mean, hours of material, right? Of just top notch historical material. Maybe, well, maybe this podcast will turn at least one person on to checking him out. Yeah. So, yeah, because I don't have a big audience, so there, there's there's four people listening here, <laughs> probably. <laughs> No, you never know. You never know where you in the future know. this this goes. So um, yeah, you can turn one person on as well. You know? I mean, no, well, the the thing is, I, I did introduce you to Thomas Sowell, which maybe otherwise you wouldn't have never yeah. heard because Thomas Sowell is not yeah. is somebody yeah. I love. I'd, I'd, love never, I'd have never come across Thomas Sowell. Yeah, he's so cool, man. He's so nice. Yeah, yeah, I love him. Like yeah, I said, you, I just listened. You first listened, listened to the. To uh, go on. Well, I said I just listened to his history of Marx, his re recounting of uh, the life of Marx. He doesn't like Marx. <laughs> <laughs> Not a big fan. <laughs> and it was good, you know. Well, apparently as a person, he wasn't that great either. So that kind of translates to... Exactly. Um, yeah, he was pompous, man. You know, yeah. do you know uh, Jordan Peterson? Mm -hmm. He has this theory yeah. that... Uh, um, that intellect uh, and uh, wisdom are not necessarily related. So somebody can be very high on intellect, but very mm. low on wisdom and the other way around. The other way around, the classic example that I would think is uh, Forrest Gump. No intellect whatsoever, but very high. Uh, yeah, yeah. You see? So, but yeah. Thomas Sowell, to me, to me, is somebody that's very high on intellect and very high on wisdom. And that's... Mm. And that's very rare because most intellectuals, like you said earlier, are aristocrats. They are from wealthy families. They never that's worked it, yeah. a dishwash or whatever. Yeah. Never, never worked in a hostel a day in their yeah, life. Yeah. Never, never stayed in a hostel even. They don't know that life, you know? Yeah. Same with artists. Yeah, the turn off. Yeah. You, you think same with postmodernist art, artists is the same? I mean, being that most artists who come out of the art schools now are postmodernists, and most of them have gone to art school, meaning they took a degree that they didn't really care what it would do with, <laughs> with their life. Right. And what yeah, do you think is a solution? Rich. What do you think? Do you, do you think we should just ship some people off somewhere? 
to work in a <laughs> camp. <laughs> I think, I think I would, do you ever think about defunding education? What? Cause I was always, again, being that I used to be, I'll finish quickly, that I used to be social, socialistically inclined. I always thought that, that free education was like uh, the pathway to a successful society and all that sort of stuff. And then I started going to university and I realized that, that it's the truth uh, or the education, the things that they're teaching you are so subjective that you're getting somebody's opinion largely. Um, and a lot of it's wrong. I mean, a lot of them, it's, I mean, I, I took a class that I thought would be, would have no ideology in it whatsoever. And it, they taught us Marx as if it was the truth. It was which, which class? Which class? Uh, it was a communications class. So um, <laughs> I wanted to get into, yeah, I wanted to do journalism and stuff. But journalism doesn't exist as, as a degree anymore in New Zealand. You can't go out and take journalism. Why? You take communication. Oh. Journalism doesn't really exist as a job anymore in New Zealand. Because yeah. anybody can do it. Yeah. You can just, uh, you can start this. You can, uh, you can do exactly. a video on YouTube yeah. and you can be a quote unquote journalist. Mm. But you know, you know yeah. what? Who's doing the research now, you know? Journalists have become uh, very partisan nowadays. It used to be they pretended to be objective maybe 10 years ago. <laughs> but yeah. now it's just like they're just like uh, coming out with uh, the question uh, includes a statement like that's very partisan. And then it's, you know, uh, mm. if you take an example, how they question Trump versus how they question Obama, like the <laughs> this loaded questions, eh? But it's the same, you know, I thought it would be the same with education. I thought it was going to be objective and practical and it was not objective yeah. and not very practical. You know what? Really you know what? Um, I, um, I've had an experience in the college where the professor of literature thought that critical, critical theory, which uh, for those of you who don't know, it's from cultural Marxism, who thought that critical theory was very hand, handy and nice. And uh, I, I, I was going out of my mind sometimes in that class because... Yeah. Yeah. It, if if that if you take critical theory then any kind of a small story that's innocent you can turn into a victim perpetrator kind of oh dynamic. yeah critical theory and then i'm like this is just a story about a boy and a girl it's not about mm. you know <laughs> a victim perpetrator or yeah and you look at where they where it was sort of founded off of it was founded off of a lot of really poor quality unobjective french philosophy Right, like, like, uh, what's his name? The, the, the Frankfurt School, the Marcuse, and all that. Uh, like, uh, yeah, yeah, like, um, what's his name? Faux, um, Michelle, uh, Michelle Foucault, Michelle Foucault. yeah, Michelle Foucault. Yeah, He's, have you uh, read any of his work? Um, I've not read him yet. I've watched, I really enjoyed there's a um, there's a um, debate between him and Noam Chomsky that, that'll surprise you between him and Noam Chomsky, actually. Um, and it's, it's not a political debate. It's a debate about mainly about human nature mm -hmm. and it's just embarrassing. Like, like Noam Chomsky just wipes the floor with him. It's like, I mean, you really see him for the, like, he's a trumped up high school history teacher. He's gone way above his head and right. now he's having to deal with a serious intellectual who, you know, I mean, I have time for, 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 for Mr. Noam, but he does get over the top. Um, I mean, he, he just got played. It's embarrassing. So uh, Tom Chomsky to me is not. Uh, I mean, he, his linguistic work maybe is is uh, has credibility, you, but his other work, I don't know. I I don't I don't. Yeah, think I know he's made errors. He's made errors with his political stuff, and people have called him out on it. But 
man, him talking about, he knows his stuff when he starts talking about human nature because he approaches it from a scientific, you know, English style philosophical perspective, not this kind of ridiculous French way of looking at things where, uh, you know, they're like, what am I thinking of? There's a, you know, this kind of um, Freudian search into the hidden meaning of things, you know, into the hidden meaning of words and the implications that you don't know are there. And it's like, man, you're just making this up. You do, this is... Oh, There's Chomsky no was saying, background you're just making this up. Um, now, in this argument, it was more about um, human nature. And okay. you have um, Foucault essentially saying, uh, there's no such thing as human nature because uh, humans are totally malleable. That, um, and this is now obviously an element of truth behind this, right. but it's an element that's obvious and it doesn't almost need to be said. Yeah, okay, so you're telling me people have behaved differently throughout history depending on their context. Sure. Like, oh wow, that may I never thought of that. You know, like obviously (laughs) amazing. But 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 at the end of the day, um, we had essentially the same needs, which create the same desires, which sort of propel our behavior. It's been the same more or less consistently. Um, Noam goes into his uh, his uh, you know lingual stuff and does some nice little explanations, and he's very sort of logical, scientific, right, 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 rational. And then you just see Foucault just being like, oh, I don't know how to, you know, he just gets slight. He gets, his floor is white. Yeah, but I would say that even though Chomsky appears to be very rational, um, I think he's, uh, his intellect is very high, but his wisdom, um, his, uh, his view on American foreign foreign policies is, uh, is absurdism from my view. (laughs) It's like yeah. you'd better off, you'd be better off painting, and you wouldn't you wouldn't yeah. uh, pollute minds of people. You, he likes looking for um, he looks he likes looking for uh, hypocrisy in the American, and the way that America does things, doesn't he? Right. Okay. So uh, looking back to your question about um, uh, definancing some schools, I think the uh, the, the social a lot of the um, the new degrees that. Um, um, that deal with the studying, let's say studying racism or studying anything like that. That's not, uh, that's maybe academically interesting, but it's not, you, you can't find a job with that. I think that, or any kind of, um, Marxism inspired, like I would be more inclined to f- finance something that's like a trade school or a engineering kind of that mathematics, science, hard science, even some psycho- psychology, I think maybe some of it is already contaminated by Marxism. I'm sure. Like you have Lacan and you have all, all the other stuff. So uh, I don't know. That's Maybe that's yeah, a controversial like, statement, but uh, psychology is not like the, science. It seems like the obvious thing to do would be to, to, to promote uh, objective study, fields of study, right? Anything that's, that you can get a pretty clear it's related to the material world and you can get a pretty clear yes or no and um opinions don't enter into it uh yeah okay i'll give you an example sorry real jobs as well it seems right Uh, but but this is this is the amount this is how bad it's gotten because even math now some math teachers are saying that that math like two plus two is four that's that's somehow uh male patriarchy that's uh it's kind of racism <laughs> there was a professor that there's so there was a prof, you can always find a professor that would say yeah. something outlandish 
And yeah. you can argue maybe it's because they want uh, five minutes of fame or maybe yeah. the serious part is they actually believe it. And this is yeah, somebody yeah. that knows math. So I'm like, yeah. I'm like saying, even if even math is not safe from, from this contamination, that, mm. you know, what hope is there for the rest of education? Mm. Yeah, I remember going to the class and the, the teacher coming up and being like, oh, what, what, that was the professor. Maybe he made the statement that, that and it's a, it's a morally, like, um, admirable uh, idea, but you can tell he's not thinking clearly. He said, when, I remember in the middle of the thing, he said that, that he was talking about the history of, um, uh, kind of the history of journalism and um, what we think of as this, this, I think it's the, the public sphere, you know, mm -hmm. the, you know, yeah, the, the central court, the place where the people are, where right. people are able to interact and discuss things. And that that got expanded into, once, once we had the printing press, that got expanded into journals and um, magazines and, um, you know, and then now it's wider with the internet. So right at the beginning, I don't know how he managed to bring it up, but I remember him saying the phrase that race is a social construct. And I remember thinking like, that's a perfectly admirable way to want to look at things. Like, sure, race means nothing. I mean, you're in, we know pretty well now that after that whole bottleneck, you remember in, from history that the world, population after the explosion of Mount Toba, you know, in the Philippines or whatever, it was a giant eruption. And then something like 1% of human beings survived. There was like 10,000 or 20,000 people left afterwards, tiny population of human beings, and they repopulated the earth. And that's why we have almost with really, really little genetic differences between different races. So it's a pretty negligible thing. But to say it's a social construct, is to say that we've come up with them as a society for a function. And it's like, sorry, man, but like, you know, me getting sunburnt all the time, does not, it's not a social construct. It's a physical occurrence that's happening, you know. Somebody but having you, a... You know, you have to be careful because this, uh, it might be hate speech, what you're saying now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, 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 that's, I'm, that's saying, I'm saying. I'm, the, it's the, the absurdity of it all because the... Yeah, yeah. Because anything you say, if you say, uh, even uh, more controversial is if you say there is no, that gender is a social construct, let's say, which some people yeah. I think are saying. Yeah, if you have a physical appendage, it's not a social construct. Like, I mean, I don't know how you even argue that. And I think it shows the dishonesty for people. People, some of the people in these professions, some, some of these people who are educators just don't, I mean, it's admirable that they prefer to, uh, to, to be or to appear morally nice than right. to be truthful what you know but it's pretty to me it's pretty disgusting i mean you know there's the truth and there isn't the truth there's no immoral there's nothing immoral about the truth it's just the truth you know yeah and the, it exists to a certain extent you know we all you know perceive things differently and blah 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 but essentially the thing whatever we're all basically perceiving is the same way if it's a material looking fact then it's the truth you know, and we shouldn't have to, you know, we shouldn't have to morally pose like that just to try to. Uh, yeah, it's, it's uh, assertions, you know, it's people saying, well, this we believe to be true and it, you cannot question it. And uh, once you start that, then it becomes a dogma. It becomes yeah, a dogma. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Same with Marxism. Or, yeah, if you say, you know, Marxism, um, that it killed many people. They will be like, well, no, no, that's actually not. It was not Marxism. It's not. They disassociate. They disassociate. Mm -hmm. Reject because that doesn't. 
the discussion of that doesn't even enter because it's it's forbidden. Mm. You know, so the problem with like I'm again like I'm still I still have like I'm got socialist sympathies, but the problem with Marxism, which I think was pointed out pretty well by like Bertrand Russell, for example, who was also like a he was a socialist initially. Mm-hmm. And um but when you put um and I, I'm sure there'd be a way to fix it as well, essentially. But this was pointed out during Marx's time by one of his compatriots. Um, what was his name? He eventually became um, one of the most important um, anarchists. Uh, I forget his name at the moment, but he pointed this out then, and it, it totally came to fruition. It's like if you put, all right, you have to have a damn good democracy to, to make it work, but if you're putting um, the legal system, pretty much everybody's property, meaning um, like uh, private property becomes state property. So mm-hmm. if, if the private property is the property of the state, then you got to have a pretty serious democracy for that to actually belong to the people. The idea is that the state is the, in, in a communist society is strictly uh, the property. It's, 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 it's the people. The state and the people are the same thing. Right, you know? right. So you need a serious democracy for that to function. So if you're going to say the, this land that is that is here is belongs to all of the people, uh, not just an individual person. And by, by doing that, you say it belongs to the state because the state is all of the people, then you've got to have a serious democracy. And the problem is if you put that much power, the, um, the court system, private property, uh, the, the enforcers of law, the police, each regional government, if everything is in one, in one single place under the government, which is supposed to be super democratic because it's the people, you're just creating a situation for a dictator to spring up. Mm-hmm. Whoever is elected as the representative or a group of people who are elected as representatives, given them that much power and that much control, it's one, really unlikely they're going to say at the end, well, I'm done with this now, no problem, next person's turn. And two, it's very easy for them to, to just snap down and start creating complete control, which has happened every single time we've had a communist attempt at the system. Right. And then they benefit themselves by, by taking, uh, having mansions and uh, you know, having a lot of wealth yeah. compared to the rest. So then you have a few people at the yeah. top and then the, the general people are <laughs> like yeah. at the bottom. And that, ha- that, happened, that happened in Russia immediately with Lenin who completely centralized power and didn't give it up and said, no, no, we're doing this temporarily because it's a dangerous situation at the moment, which right. happens, which happens sometimes even in, you know, even in real democracies, you know, I think that was the old word for a tyranny. Tyranny was a, was a, in ancient Greece, you, during times of war, the, the Athenian democracy would elect a, a, ty- a tyrant mm-hmm. who would take complete control of the state for a period of time and then give it back to the people. Um, but there were measures, you know, like, and it usually did come back to the people because the people were used to democracy and they didn't want a tyrant. They, they hated kings and tyrants, but they suffered it necessarily. Lenin did the same thing initially. And then, like, what, we all saw what happened with that, you know. It's not to say that there isn't a way to separate um, the, the powers within a communistic system. But pretty quickly, yeah, and it just hasn't been done yet. I, I think it's the wrong starting place for it. I think the the only place socialism can work is maybe in a small community where everybody is quote unquote good. Because the problem is 
uh, the the simplest I can say it is the 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 syndrome of uh, not washing the dishes. Like you lived in hostels and you, you've seen, but also, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but also this applies yeah, to apartments. Let's say you have five people in an apartment and you live together and there'll always be one person that doesn't do the dishes or whatever, or doesn't clean or whatever you have. So put this on a large scale. If you don't have any punishments and people can do their job without being checked or without any accountability, then you might have a city where people, the, the rubbish people are not picking up the, the trash, you know, or, you know, you might have chaos quickly and then you have to impose punishment. So you have accountability, accountability. Yeah, yeah, totally. Whereas if you have a job, if you're paid yeah. and, and you're paid on, I guess you could argue, I could argue that if somebody in a communist system, what, what would be the penalty? What would be the penalty is, well, I, we give you a stern talking to you have to you have to do your job. Everybody's paid the same, or everybody's got the same. If it's money, it's the same kind of rations, or the same um, about the same apartment, or you get the same. But 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 then if you don't do, what what would be the consequences? Do they, you know, do the police come and take you away? Do, do, do they re-educate you? <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure in Stalinist Russia, you're pretty well just shot if you didn't do what you're supposed to do. But right. it's not just that. It's also like, um, you know, if, you, if you're the type of person who's figured out how to make a lot of money, we should probably be, or, or you've found a way to organize a group of people, for example, in a way that's more efficient than the way other people are organizing their groups of people, then we should probably allocate you more resources so you can keep doing it on a larger scale because you're making things more efficient. But that's it. That's business. That's business. business. If somebody has a business that is way cheaper than another business, like makes, uh, makes pencils that are way cheaper or whatever, then that business is going to get more resources by virtue of people more having, paying more money to, or buying more of their stuff. So actually, in a, in a capitalist system, that happens like kind of organically. Yeah, yeah but also in a capitalist system, uh, it, runs, it, gets, it runs away from you and you start creating an 1840s situation where it's like, well, what's the easiest way for us to produce the most bricks? Well, if we pay everybody five cents per hour and make them live in the factory, then that's going to create the cheapest bricks and we'll be the best competitors. Sure. So thus you get the, that's the statist, uh, the statist argument that comes in where you start saying, Okay, so this is why I say centrism. Because somewhere in the middle is the right thing to do. Well, well you have to have protections for the worker. I, I totally agree with that, yeah. But I, I would say that capitalism... Regulation. Right. At, at its best, capitalism destroys a communism. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that. yeah. Well, I mean, I mean yeah, yeah. You, you ask, ask the fucking Uyghurs in China, you know, like... Oh, yeah. Well, that's... Uh, yeah, you know about what's happening in China? Kind of. Uh, that's a religious um they are is that the muslims that they're they're uh, it's a status thing really it's i don't think it has much to do with religions i think i think the worrying thing about what's happening in china is that it's coming with statism being like if you think of, of you can think of politics on like whatever spectrum you right you want like the left and right spectrum has all of these it's vague right it's got all these little things tied up to it it's it's it is to an extent most not even to an extent status versus non-status. If you go far to the left, you end up with communist, which is a system mm -hmm. which is that the states or, you know, extreme socialist, which would say that the states dominate everything. You go to the far right, you get something like a, a dictatorship, 
which is again saying that the state should control as much as they can. Mm-hmm. So they're very close. What li- li- yeah, they kind of come around, but they also don't. What, what you what you just have is with left and right, you have a very untidy set of um, of, of values which have more to do with two different ways of looking at the world in terms of safety and control against, you know, open societies and equality. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's almost like two sides of the brain fighting between left and right, but it's not really a clear, um, it's not really like a, a clear set of, uh, uh, of, of, of rules or anything that dictate what's left versus what's right. There's a lot, it's like a little package, you know, yeah. very vague. So then you could also look at it as, like there's a whole bunch of different spectrums that you can look at one really nice tidy one is just statism versus non-statism so if you have a status versus non-status spectrum you'd say on the far right at the statist side you'd have both uh far right and far left mm-hmm. because you would have um communists or you know uh who would say that everything should be under the control of uh you know one leader or the government or the, the leader of a government that's right wing or whatever and then going Right, right to the left, you would have people who would be something like anarchists, but not like proper anarchists. There'd be people who say the state basically has no function and we don't need it. Mm-hmm. And then in the middle, you'd probably, let's say if we're somewhere in the middle now, so we're probably hitting, we're quite statist. Most Western countries are quite statist now. Um, a libertarian would be somewhere towards the lesser statist side who would say, yeah, we want government, but we want small government. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a useful spectrum. To me, what's happening in China is relating to a very, very hardcore or status uh, state, which is saying that, you mean, which, you know, they want complete control over their people or as much control as they can. They think that the state, the state has the right to control the media. And now they think that the state, to create a really strong state, it'd be really nice to have, uh, to be racially homogenous. They want to just be Han Chinese, right? Mm-hmm. That's what they're going towards, I suspect. And I suspect they're trying to punish anybody who's not Han Chinese, trying to keep them from having so many babies. Right, right. So, yeah, so that, that especially in, and that's why it's happening, especially in the regions that they've taken over in the last 50 years or so. It's happening, especially in the West, because those, those are regions that aren't really, I mean, it's not really China. Those, those are different Right, cultures. they want to uh, have more compliance, more conformity. So they, uh, that's the way they feel that they can do that. Mm-hmm. It's exactly what the I mean, I hate to make the Nazi comparison, but it's exactly what the Nazis did. They they didn't the, the whole scapegoat this people that people they hated everybody and it's horrible. But the the idea behind that was essentially because Nazis were super status and the best and and to have a state which is uh, uh, racially homogenous, mm-hmm. it's easier to control that state. It's a status thing. It's disgusting and it's it's, it's terrifying. I think. It's got to be one of the most terrifying things happening and maybe the yeah. worst thing that's and happening right now. It's horrible. China is also taking over Hong Kong and making it more yeah. more like China, China, rather than the way, way it was before. Um, yeah, yeah, but, and they're cool. Like, they're, Hong Kong, people from Hong Kong are freedom-loving people there. Yeah, it's, they, it's they are, they are clamping down. And also the agreement was to expire. Um, the two-state solution, I think, was to expire and... and in 2041 anyway so uh it's bound to um i so i feared that this was going to happen in the future but it looks like they're clamping down now because 
because um, um, I, I think the the reasoning behind it is if you take if you live in freedom for too long, then it's gonna be harder and harder to clamp down. So now yeah. they see the opportunity with uh, with the virus, and now they clamping mm-hmm. clamping down hard. And, and it, it is the case, though, isn't it? Like once 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 a country or a group of people or a culture has democracy, they sort of seem to need to like seem to take a while to settle in. Mm-hmm. And then once they have it, and once it's established, it's very hard to take take from them. Like it'd Hopefully. be damn, you couldn't. It'd be damn hard to take democracy away from from most of the Western countries now. There's a tradition of it. There's a proud tradition of of democracy. It's ingrained in the way of people's identities. It's ingrained in the identity of the nation. Right. The same thing for the for the countries that lost it. You know. Um, and again, you know, sorry, I hate to use the Nazi comparison, but um, with Germany at that time, they, they had a newly formed democracy and a newly formed democracy tumbles much, much more easily, mm-hmm. you know? So you're right, you know, maybe they didn't want the, to have them get too, too used to the, to this sort of democracy that they had. Uh, yeah. But it's also like, uh, I think democracy can, can fall. Um, and that's where I kind of was seeing now with, uh, with a lot of things that are happening in the world that, uh, there's there's elements in in the world that are very left i think and they want to take control of uh of countries like uh if you look at the um the wiretapping that happened uh apparently that happened on the the uh still under the obama administration the wiretapping of trump that's uh well, they, they tapped trump apparently so that's Apparently, very concerning. That's Trump. very concerning because yeah. it's like, um, anyway, I think what we're going <laughs> to, that's a whole nother rabbit hole. I don't want to go yeah. that into that. Yeah, I would yeah, say yeah. That's speculation maybe. And uh, we'll see, we'll see what happens with the investigation because it's an ongoing thing in the U S. Um, but yeah, this is, uh, yeah, it's been almost like an hour. It, it went by pretty quickly. I'd say. Yeah, yeah. Once you get going, it's quite quite fun, isn't it? Yeah. So. Um, yeah. Do you have any social media or anything that people, uh, or or do you want to just stay? Uh, I'm just using Cameron as your name, unless you want me to. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I write books. Um. I have a. I have a. I don't know. I don't. I don't actually really have a way of organizing myself for the books, particularly particularly yet. But uh, if you search my name on Amazon or in Google, you can find my books as I write them. I have one out so far. Um, it's most it's fiction at this point. Oh, I'm you have on one out. Books. I didn't know that. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, I have a book out. Yeah, I released a book in um, February. Okay, what's book. the title? And uh, to tell the audience so they uh, catch it's it. Called, it's all over now. It's called It's All Over Now, Baby Blue. Uh, and it's a novella and three short stories. Okay. And then I'm following up pretty soon with the next novel so okay. we'll, uh, keep track of it all right i'll put the link in my uh when i post this on youtube i'll put the link uh, to your book so maybe oh, somebody will you. buy it who knows yeah 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 um and you, your name uh, your full name i can use that as well or do you want yep. me to yep okay Cameron Churchill. all right um well thank you very much for being on the show um and uh, yeah, thank you, thanks to the audience for listening or watching, whatever. <laughs> I look forward to saying more of your podcast, man. Thank you.